I'm the Property Funder, better known as Michael Dean, and this is the Property Funder podcast. I'm a successful entrepreneur, investor, NED and advisor. As co-founder of Avermore Capital, I'm best known for having financed over a billion pounds of property developments and investments by value during my career so far. During my time in business, I've come across an incredibly broad spectrum of successful people all with their own unique experiences working in a variety of industries. I want to speak to these people and learn more about them. I'm not looking to have the world's biggest podcast, so if just one person benefits from what my guests have to say, then that to me would look like success. And if you are that one person, then you should probably not tell anyone about this. Welcome to the Property Funder podcast. I'm here with Chris. Now, today's Property Funder podcast marks a bit of a milestone. Um, my producer, Georgia, tells me that this is the 20th recording that we've done. Um, and according to a social media guru, friend of mine, who is called Alex Cooper, this puts us in the top 1% of all podcasts, but most podcasts do not make it this far. So if you've been listening all along, thank you very much for your support. Um, and we've got a really extra special guest today uh, in Chris. Um, before we start chatting to Chris properly, just a reminder, if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe to the podcast either on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and uh, some of you who've got Android phones might like to use the Google Podcast platform as well. So uh, without further ado, let's talk to our guest, Chris. Chris, uh, what's your full name, your business, and tell us what your business does. Uh, certainly. Uh, thanks for the invite and, uh, yeah, looking forward to this. No, so I'm Chris Oatway, uh, co-CEO of LDN Finance. Uh, essentially, we are a mortgage broking business with four key pillars, uh, which include, you know, standard, standard residential mortgages, buy-to-lets, um, but also have a, a private clients pillar, which is basically focused on higher earning individuals with more in, uh, complex income structures, uh, different nationalities, um, often going towards private banking type uh, lenders, uh, which are for loans sort of one million pound plus. We have specialist finance uh, uh, department, which includes bridging, commercial development, mezzanine finance, equity finance. Uh, and we have a protection uh, department as well, which is doing business protection, life insurance, critical illness and so on. So we have those four key pillars, which we think covers everything that is needed in the property finance uh, sector. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and I, I imagine that we'll just continue with those four key pillars and continue to grow. Well, uh, I, I I can speak with personal experience that you have a, a, a great business. Uh, I myself am, uh, full disclosure, have been a client of the insurance protection team uh, on a personal level. And then your specialist finance team works with Avermore Capital, um, placing a number of cases and has done uh, for many years. And we have, uh, I think, a very good relationship between the two firms, which we hope to continue and grow. Uh, but obviously, depending on how this podcast goes, uh, that might change. <laughs> uh, uh, just kidding. So, um, Chris, uh, like how 
how did you get into the you know the the mortgage and protection business uh and specialist finance business because uh i'm i'm guessing aged 10 11 12 uh, you didn't you know you didn't have the a dream of becoming a mortgage broker so how how did you find your way into the in into the space i mean from a young age i always wanted to work in finance um and I think even from, it might have been when I was either 15 or 16, had a summer job uh, at a bank in the uh, in the city. And uh, my boss at the time um, recommended that I became a financial advisor. Um, sort of out the blue, got to know me and said, you know, that is a sector that I could be, uh, I could use my skill set and work well. Um, and, you know, after going to university, the first thing I did was uh, apply for jobs to become a financial advisor and, uh, you know, started off at Zurich Advice Network with, you know, zero clients trying to sell pensions, insurance and and so on. And then um, after 18 months of doing that, it was super hard work, old school sales, but I learned so much and had some great people around me. But the property market was literally taking off. Um, mortgage broking wasn't necessarily seen as a highly regarded part of, you know, financial advice. Um, and it seemed a bit of a, an easy way out there, you know, it wasn't necessarily as highly attractive or glamorous as, as being a financial uh, planner. But I saw an opportunity and thought, actually, it's, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of people doing that job and not necessarily doing it to the standard that I see is needed to be able to, uh, to cater for all the clients that we were, we were building. So I, I became a mortgage broker and thought, right, just do this job, do it better than everyone else. And, and and try to build a career around it. Um, even from you know the first time I was being a mortgage broker, uh, I always wanted to run my own business. Um, you know when I first started as an IFA, I was self-employed. Um, so I've always had that drive to run a business. And you know I I'm, I worked in one of the, the large mortgage firms uh, for about five years uh, in the city. Learned a lot. Saw what I really liked in that business, and also made some really good contacts along the way. Um, other brokers, you know, lenders, and uh, and so on, and then you know felt I developed enough of the, a skill set to then go out and do it on my own. Uh, after a, a brief period uh, attempting to be a property developer um, and setting up a small sort of mortgage brokerage at the time, I then got uh, into business with uh, Anthony, who's also my business partner now, who I have a long history with of. You know, went to university together. We did our first jobs as IFAs together, second jobs as mortgage brokers together. It was only for a short period that we weren't working where he went back to set up a mortgage arm for the original IFA, one of the IFAs we worked with. Um, and I was doing the property development and broking on the side. So there was a period where we had to go into business together. We, we, we'd learned so much. We were at that age of 35 and we thought, you know, we really developed a good enough understanding of how to work business how you know where we want to set up where we want to move forward and and, and to do this together and we combined our skill sets to, to to set up LDM finance in May 2017 um so it was uh you know a period to build up to that point was but you know was actually you know experience actually selling bit actually running businesses seeing other businesses um and learning and yeah and then just trying to put it together and and go from there we didn't have any major plans on on what size of the business we were going to get to we just wanted to sort of slowly grow and have a, a business where we really enjoyed to go to work every day um and work with some really good people 
So, so just so I can piece together the history. So it was what 18 months at Zurich, then five years at uh, five years at a sort of well-known city firm. If you don't mind, if you don't want to mention their name, that's fine. So then. So I'm just and and when did you start? Was it around sort of 2006, 2007 time or, or no? Was it, it, well, it was actually credit country came in um, and that sort of triggered me to 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 make a move to be self-employed. Um, right. uh, the so so this is when you left the the large the, yeah the large exactly. firm exactly that so yeah. so um, the credit crunch hit and pretty quickly I decided right because you know, incomes were going down, the mortgage market took a big hit for a period of time. Um, and I decided, yeah, it was time to give it a go. And, and I'm not sure how long uh, the, the, the period of you know, running this small brokerage with, you know, a couple of guys who are still, you know, with me now, actually. Um, and, you know, I think there was only six of us in that business at the time doing the mortgage broking side, including, you know, bridging commercial development. But obviously I was developing uh, as well. Uh, and learning and to, to learn about developing the, almost the best way to do it is, is just do the job. I, I probably took on something that was too big for me um, and didn't get the right contractor, had all sorts of challenges within that deal. But, you know, when things go wrong, you learn even more. And from everything I, I took, that, that that property development and all the mistakes I've made and the understanding of what a developer has to go through, I can now use all of that. In my daily job in when i'm doing development finance because i understand what it takes for a development to be successful how hard it can be and where all the various areas that it can go wrong but i try to apply this and, and and help the clients and obviously also the lenders in trying to present everything in the right way to make sure that everyone's going in everything with the with the right approach uh, to make sure that you know things can be a success in the best way possible so yeah, so that that I mean those sort of two businesses which were running at the same time, um, you know, it happened, you know, probably from 2009 uh, all the way up to probably 2016 when me and Anthony first started talking um, about um, uh, you know uh, LDN Finance and uh, what we we're going to do and probably six nine months worth of planning before we actually got going. Yeah, uh, well I mean look it's you know it's obviously those these last six years for for LDN have gone from strength to strength and we can you know we can we'll talk about that in a moment but I'm curious sometimes I've seen that people who've got you know so I I, first of all I I I can imagine your experience as a developer it will give you great insight into uh insight into your what your clients are experiencing and where the challenges are um but I've also seen that that can also that can be a negative. So certain people who I know have worked in lenders um, don't always translate to being great brokers because they they often they often approach the the, the clients and the and the clients schemes with probably a bit too much caution because they're like oh well, no that you know because they they often they're, they're essentially still wearing their credit hats. Um, and they forget that they're having that them their jo- their job is to sell the client. Um, how did you shift your mindset, or, or how how do, how do you shift your mindset uh, from being a developer and seeing where the challenges are and the issues are with the development to making sure that the development the developer gets what they need, or is your approach that 
you only want to work with developers who are you know absolutely who've got everything absolutely nailed down so that you've you can present them credibly and therefore you're not going to waste your time like what is the approach that you take um around but you know because effectively you, you you have the you know you have the fortune or misfortune whichever way you want to label it of probably knowing a bit too much yeah i mean i, I will always say that i was a broker first with the you know you know and my understanding of being a broker is far more advanced than my understanding and experience of being a developer um however you know what i used to apply it it doesn't I, it doesn't restrict me over what developers i'm using i welcome first-time developers and those people with the, the highest level of experience we enjoy taking someone from you know doing two three unit schemes to taken on 20 30 40 and we've seen it on a regular basis and people take do take those jumps and those steps up on a regular basis um where i think we probably take a bit more caution is just making sure that the the, the contractor is suitable for yeah. the site because you can have a great developer if they have the wrong contractor it can all go very horribly wrong very quickly mm. certainly in this market when there are some challenges so we probably spend a lot of time focusing on that yeah. we spend a lot of time focusing on the financial appraisal and even if someone has less experience or has never even done an appraisal before we can assist with that just to try to make sure that their figures are right because just because someone hasn't done it before doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have the ability to make a a, a project successful you know if they've found a good site they've worked the planning and they've got uh or they might have experience solely in you know uh being a, a contractor or, or a surveyor but they may need different uh, uh support whether it comes on sales or it's on the finance but that's our job to try to try to find where they need help um, yeah. and to present it in the right way to the lender. So, you know, they've got everything that they need to be able to move forward. And you know, they've got to be happy with that developer when, you know, they've got to be, you know, have that right team in place to uh, and that right understanding of the project to make sure it's a success. And, you know, sometimes, you know, there'll be projects that are very hard to fund and that may not be down to the developer, may be down to the quirky nature of the project. But often those quirky ones can be the most successful as well in terms of profit. Yeah. How, how do you, you know, what's your approach though when you when you're faced with a quirky one? Do you, you know, do you have to sort of buy in? Do you have to buy into that a little bit and emotion, get emotionally invested in it yourself before you go start thinking about presenting that to lenders? Uh, I don't, I mean, and, and, and how do you, and how do you select between you know how how do you make the dis distinction between something that you want to push and something you'd like listen I don't think I, I don't want to waste my time on this. Yeah, I, I think for us the, the the client comes first, as in the you know if we feel we can work with the client, that's absolutely crucial. If they have a quirky project, then the key thing is for us to understand it, understand why they want to develop this, understand what the upsides are, as well as obviously the risks. Now, if that's something that we think that we can support and we can, it's worth us investing our time into trying to source the right lender for them, then we're happy to give that a go. You know, and we 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 have funded some really, really quirky deals, you know, um, ones where people are buying massively below market value, where the 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 the, the total loan is above the purchase price and funding planning costs in addition on a commercial asset you know um, on something that doesn't have planning permission anymore you know and and these things are not easy to fund there's not many lenders out there who are going to take the pump on this so we do have to source family offices or you know overseas funds to make these things happen 
doesn't mean that project isn't good because it's hard to fund. In actual fact, that project, you know, that I mentioned there could end up with, you know, a high level of profit just soon as he gets planning permission. And then when he develops it out, you know, the, the, the client, again, didn't have the experience at that level directly, but he had the experience working for other businesses at that level. And, you know, he had a, built a really good team around him. So it was worth our time in investing in him and trying to find someone for it. Plus the project, you know, he was buying so far under market value and there was big planning up left as well. We could see that although it's incredibly hard to fund, it was a it was a fantastic project for him. And, and you know, assuming that this planning comes through, that will literally set him up for uh, for his business moving forward for the next few years. And when you approach a, a more challenging project like that, do you seek to get paid a higher percentage as part of your fee or are you or are you looking at it as if I can do this for this client, then I've kind of got a client for the next 20 years? Um, sort of no, approach. I mean, to be, um, the deals, the, the deals on those type of ones, it, it's that was a larger deal anyway. You know, it's 7.8 million. So I don't need to charge a higher percentage fee. And what I effectively put in was a high gearing debt product rather than it being an equity or, or, or mezzanine finance uh, sort of structure. Had it been split between, you know, senior debt, mezz and equity, then, you know, yes, we do charge a higher fee for the mezz or equity, but it was just a, a high gearing bridge effectively on the open market value as opposed to the purchase price uh, with a bit of additional security. And as a result, we were happy just to charge our standard fee and we are happy with the, the, the returns we can get. And yes, as you said, we've got the client there now, we've supported him and the moment he gets planning permission, we'll be keen to get what is even going to be a, a, a better deal will be when we're doing the development finance on it as well. And they're asking for another 25 mil. Yeah. So you're going to get, you know, you should, in theory, get plenty of bites of the cherry at this anyway. So it, this is what this is one that will probably run and run and run. And when it's finished, you probably even get another a third bite, won't you? And if they're looking for some sort of term term uh, solution or uh, maybe a, an exit bridge or something like that, stabilisation bridge. Or, yeah, or, you know, even take it one step further. If we've got investors that are looking to acquire the asset, we can obviously offload that as well and assist them on that side. So, so yes, it, it's about building that relationship and looking after them and, and, and seeing everyone with the long-term uh, long view. But what do you think, are, you know, what do you think of, are, are the red flags when you're looking at, when a client approaches you, uh, you know, particularly in the, spe- in the specialist arena, um, I, I guess in the sort of regulated space, it's a bit more, it's a bit more cut and dried. Not so much red flags and such, but, you know, when, when we find out that, uh, you know, someone's speaking to multiple brokers, it will automatically make us think, right, we shouldn't be dedicating too much time of it. If we've not got control over that client, they're running around the whole market, then something could be going wrong here. Um, also, people can present deals in a different way. They've got different information from the client. It doesn't do anyone any favours. So although that won't completely stop us moving forward with the client, um, we will see if we can get some level of exclusivity. Um, it just means that we probably wouldn't spend as much time with that person. And we're probably better off working closer, either finding new people that sort of had the the trust and the faith in us as a business to be able to, you know, send a deal to us and know that we will actually deliver for them um, rather than sort of running around with anyone who might be speaking to, you know, multiple, uh, multiple people in the industry. Yeah, I think as lenders, we hate, when the same clients being presented to us by multiple brokers because it just you just end up with lots of people getting a bit butthurt uh if you end up pro- progressing with one particular 
um, with one particular broker. Um, and we actually had a situation last year where a client who we'd drawn down with, we'd lent with, um, came to us via a particular broker. And this was actually a referral from another lender, ironically. And then he came to us for another project, but not through this, not through this lady who initially had introduced us to him. And it put us in a really awkward position because the client, because we said to the client, look, who do you want representing us on this situation? You know, we originally, we were in, originally introduced to the client by this lady, but the client didn't want her representing him any, uh, anymore. And, you know, we have to ultimately respect the client's wishes. But the the original introducing broker was was really upset and angry with us. And I think she's been a bit ranty without naming us on uh, on social media. And, you know, and, and it's very frustrating um, to be put in that position. But I think what's but I think what's worse, if, it, you know, in that situation, we knew the client in situations where you don't know the client, um, you know, you, you run the risk of um you know you, you you run the risk of the of the client being tarnished because as you say the, the deal can get presented to you in a lot of different ways and you don't know what you you can't really control the quality of information that's being presented to you yeah exactly that and you know controlling the client is obviously something that we try to do and when i'm not saying control them in every way but as in making sure that you are working closely together to both get the right result and 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 that is conducive to a successful partnership and that's with the lenders as well um i mean we we recently came across uh, a client that another uh, good broker in the industry uh, uh was working with and we found out that the client had sent us both the same deal and we were at an event talking and we were like oh, oh my god tell you what so what we decided to do was actually just work together with the other broker and we are working as if we are one big team. So rather than just going around speaking to you know, other brokers or me and him competing against each other, we're working together to make sure that we do the right thing. And you know, it could benefit because you know, sometimes we've got different experiences and different relationships with lenders that we can both pull on each other. And I think we've got sort of two or three deals lined up that we are doing together from you know, broker even outside of LDN. So there are solutions to these potential problems when, when clients can do that um that doesn't work every time um but you know we're always open to either you know trying to make something work for the client or move on and let someone else crack along yeah i mean and i think that uh, this is a, a similar uh, similar theme to when i had a, a conversation with jordan mcbriar a few months ago uh which is is about taking a collaborative approach and uh, you know and i think fundamentally just you know this sort of 100 percent of nothing is nothing so whereas if you can add value to the client and, and prioritize the client's outcome, if that requires you to share the deal with an, a, a broker outside your firm, um, if the client is ultimately getting a better service, then that's to, that's for everyone's benefit, isn't it? Um, and and it's the and it sounds like a, a very kind of grown up approach. Um, and it's it's surprising that in that it's surprising how frequently actually it happens with successful brokers, you know, people who are going to have a long have long long careers. Um, you know, in in an industry where you you know you can only place a case once, but there's a, there is an enormous amount of collaboration between you know uh, between individual brokerages um, that that probably goes quite unnoticed. And and I guess like you said, if if you've got a particularly complex case you you know you you own the client but 
what you have in terms of the the connections and access in terms of people who could fund that deal you might not you might not have the relationships that are required to unlock that deal for the client so better for you and the client to to ask for help outside your firm it's i think it's a sign of strength actually that you've got the self-confidence to go and do that as opposed to as opposed to going it's my client i'm just going to do it myself and i don't want anyone else having a go at this um you know it doesn't it doesn't benefit you and it doesn't definitely doesn't benefit the client so you know I, I think yeah, it's that, interesting you mentioned jordan who's on it um previously because even um, you know if we see each other we'll you know have the, the general chit chat catch up and you know if we're in a car driving to uh to, to a golf uh event or something like that then you know we'll talk about deals and we'll share ideas we'll talk about new lenders you know in theory you know some people would say why do we why are we both so open with each other when we're competing businesses but I, I see there's so much business out there in the market that we're not really competing against each other. Um, I, I love the success of, uh, you know, how his business has moved and how it's changed and how well he's doing. And if I can help him, if he's got an idea or, uh, or he's got someone that might need a specific funder. And, you know, I've met someone recently that's a private investor that might be perfect for him. I'd be more than happy to share those details. And likewise, when he came across someone recently that was really useful, He's uh, he sent me the contact details over and said they, they might be good for you. So I think we just try to support each other in, in in different ways, which I think will only ever benefit the industry because it just means more deals are getting done. But there, there there is so much business out there for everyone to get. I don't think that people need to be guarded. We can all help each other to work to, to, to do deals. Yeah, I, I think particularly in the specialist finance arena, um, I think it's really important that we that we all try and pull each other up. Um, you know, ra- rather than get the sharp elbows out, because you know, it's it's. I think it's great what you're saying. It's like that sharing of information, that transparency of information is is absolutely key. Your your ability to be successful is your is a, will ultimately be a function of your ability to service your clients. You know, I I I, I love to bore people silly with the the Zig Ziglar quote, which is you can help have everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. And I think the key thing here is that, you know, client out, client outcomes are the number one thing. The thing that sets you apart is your ability to service, to ultimately win and service your clients and and keep them. Um, I'm sure you, I'm sure lots of people can get first a lot of first dates with a number of clients, but, um, you know, without ever having worked in a brokerage, um, you know, it's it's pretty clear to me the number one thing that stands out that makes a brokerage valuable is the number of repeat clients that they have that continue will continually go back to them. Um, you know, and, and I think that you're in this, I think in the same way within the lending community that, you know, lenders that are collaborative and that help each other um, is, is the number one thing. I, I know I mentioned, I just mentioned uh, collaboration with another lender that an introduction from another lender that was Glenn Hawke, obviously Guy and I have a very good relationship. And I think that, you know, we should want to make, particularly in the specialist finance arena, we should want, make, want to make the industry bigger. The industry is better the bigger it is because it will attract more capital, more patient capital, more institutional capital. Um, you know, and, and I think the bigger we can make it, the better. We don't do that by shitting on our, our competitors and our peers. You know, yes, we'll be competing, but we all do something, particularly in the lending arena, we all do something different. We all have to have our own specific niches. Within brokerage, I guess it's a bit different because you've got the ability to to be broader. But even even your business, for example, still will focus on certain areas that, that a number of your competitors won't focus on. Um, so I think that's key. Let's just, let's talk about the business for a second, because, um, 
you know as i said i've i've been a client and also we work uh, we work together um on the lending side with with your business introducing uh, loans to ourselves how many people are in the business now and how many did you start with and, and how many have you grown to now yeah so may 2017 when we had our first office in the, in, on, on Old Broad Street on the 17th floor with lovely views. There were six of us uh, in a in a very small room, um, uh, which I think had the ability of having 11 people in the office. We we quickly filled that and got to 11 within I think 12 months and had to move out. Um, I think we're now on our sixth office in six years. Um, luckily, we're here for the next five years. Um, and we're now at 45 people uh, uh, in the office and we have space for, you know, another 20 or so in the office to, to, to continue going if, you know, that's where things go. But um, but yeah, so I'd say we, we've grown pretty naturally. We haven't really pushed for anything. We, um, you know, as we've added more uh, advisors, we've needed more support staff, more compliance, marketing. Um, and you know these things uh, sort of well, i suppose we have not had many people leave um people quite enjoy where they're working so we don't have that sort of conveyor belt that we know a lot of firms do have um which probably impacts the level of growth that they can have um for us you know we've got a, a great team and you know the, the the phone rings we get recommendations for people to come to join us all the time it's just trying to make sure we've got the right people that you know, fit in with the culture um, and the company ethos and so on um, to try to make sure that as LDN grows and gets bigger and gets stronger, we still keep, you know, those core values of, you know, wanting to be a business which, you know, treats everyone with respect within the business and, and everyone comes to work with a smile on their face, uh, everyone enjoys it. And, you know, we try to be good people to everyone within the office outside our clients and so on and if we can do that then it, it, it gives a, a great working environment and I think genuinely leads to a uh, uh, a more successful business you know we make sure there's still competitions uh, within the business you know yes we are still a sales company we still want those figures to come through it's not just about you know being the nicest people it's about making sure that you can deliver and you know try to get as much business through the door as possible but doing it in the right way, which I think is, you know, really is important. And, uh, and yeah, just maintaining that sort of good, good culture that we've managed to, to keep within the business. Yeah. And, and, and like between the various departments, how are you splitting the, how, how are the teams split up? Like, you know, how many people in the specialist division, how many people in mortgage protection, interest, insurance and protection, how many people in, uh, you know, the homeowner mortgage side of the business and, and private client? Yeah, I can tell you the figures. Uh, just, it, just, brief, appro just, yeah. appro just approximately, because you yeah. know, I know these things can be fluid. Yeah, I mean, the specialist team is still only seven of us, um, which has probably been one of the slower ones to grow. But what we've found is that it's it's a crucial making sure that you really do have the right people who have the the right knowledge and and, and treat business in the right way to grow that team and make sure we. You know, we've got such a nice, varied group of uh, people in our team that, that it, we have to be very selective over who we we bring in there to make sure that they fit the mould. Um, we've only got a small protection team um, with, I think, three uh, in that team. Uh, we probably need to build on that further because they're pretty swamped. Um, but again, 
finding the right level of experience for people who are protection advisors isn't an easy thing in this market. They are, they're hard to come by. Um, and yeah, we just want to make sure that we get the right people there. Mortgage broking is obviously a much bigger industry. There's more people just doing standard residential mortgages and buy to lets. And there's a lot more movement uh, and there's a lot more sort of volume of deals to be done there. So, yeah, that team has probably grown um, to be the largest. And then uh, with private clients uh, uh, department, I think we've got eight in that team now. So I would say, although it's sort of more mortgage focused um, than on the specialist finance, um, for the actual business amounts that, that we produce across the departments, um, you know, the specialist department does that is, is very strong and so is the private clients one there per head, as you would expect to, because the deals are generally more sizable uh, and the, the level of expertise to be able to do these things well is that much higher as well. Yeah. And does so does Anthony also work in a specialist team as well or on the specialist side? Or is he a bit more on uh, on, on the he, other side he, of the business? He's more on the residential, but he's more uh, overarching looking at the business from, yeah. from, from the top, um, you know, looking at you know the finances accounts and so on um and he has a residential background so he has more influence on that side where you know the specialist finance side is you know sort of where my passion and my love is so that's really where i tend to focus on uh for the time being and then we have you know greg as our coo who uh has also come in to support myself and anthony uh with these big decisions especially because you know, having that extra opinion and the level of experience he has had uh, in the industry has been invaluable to us. And we needed that to be able to continue to grow, to have that extra extra, extra man in there uh, at the top level to uh, to help support us. I mean, speaking from my own personal experience, having two people sitting at the head of a business can be it. It, 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 it definitely has its strengths because, you know, myself and Zahair, um, much like yourself and, and Anthony, we're we're very you know we're very capable people very accomplished people as well um you know i i, I sort of cringe when i say that but you know I, I, unfortunately i know that there is an element of truth to that too unfortunately um but i think sometimes where we found things were challenging was that um you 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 need to you need to be unanimous between the two of you to you know you need to have um you know, you, you need to have cohesion, you need to build consensus to move forward with the things that you're doing. And if you don't have consensus, it it can hold you back. And I think one of the benefits of a business which which has a single head uh, or single leader is that you have one person that's driving the agenda um, and, and, and drags people along with them. Obviously, they need to, again, they still need to build some degree of consensus. Otherwise, you won't be able to get people to come along with you for the journey. But um, do you think that um, your CEO COO kind of provides a sort of a, a bit of a tiebreaker? Is, is that is that helpful in terms of your the dynamic between you and Anthony? If you and Anthony aren't quite aligned on something, uh, was it Greg? As you said his name was. Uh, yeah. Does, does does he does he help kind of act, act as a sort of you know you know casting vote as it were? It, yeah, there can be that, that at times. Not that we often don't strongly feel one way or another because we are very much in sync and with a very similar backgrounds and so on i think it's also to sense check the fact that we're not running down both of us uh down 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 the, down the same route which could be problematic and it's someone else to have a look at that and say actually maybe that's not the right thing to do but um but yes it, it is actually useful being that third person every now and then but it isn't 
it's not so much like uh, a situation that's something's come to a loggerhead where we need him to come to sort it out. It's more on us having opinions on where things might need to go, what we need to do, what changes need to be made, what personnel we may need and so on. And we work together uh, to work those through. And you know, we have, you know, regular meetings, our quarterly directors meetings and make sure that, uh, you know, any any issues are raised or any opportunities that we see or any focus that we need to have for the next three months is all discussed. Um, and he also brings a very much a, a, a level headed, sensible person in there, um, which is always needed. You know, you've got Anthony, who's incredibly good at decision making and uh, you know, super efficient in what he does. Obviously, you know, me on my side where. I may be uh, uh, out and about a lot more often and, and, and doing a lot of selling and doing a lot of the bigger deals. Um, so we all have our own sort of niches that we uh, that, that we have within our personalities and our and in our skill sets. And we hopefully combine those two to, to make the big, their business stronger. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, it sounds like you've got quite a good setup. And as far as the leadership team is concerned, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of your peers, probably one of the reasons they struggle to grow is because they just don't have they, they maybe don't ha- have that quite in the quite the same way. Um, or, or perhaps you're, you're offering a, a window into what what good looks like. Um, I, I just want to talk about growth and, and, and hiring and retention. Um many of the brokers that i talk to um about their businesses um because i find because i love to talk about people's businesses if that wasn't obvious um but i i'm i I often talk to to brokers about uh, the the owners of brokers or the leaders of brokers about 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 growth and the challenges that they experience in growing those businesses and the the thing that they seem to this, the the common theme things seems to be that the particularly in the specialist area but i think it's probably across the board is that there aren't enough good quality people um available and to get a seat to get to to attract a successful senior person to come across to you to your business is incredibly difficult um what's your approach to hiring is it are you looking or have you looked to acquire um talent in a in a more lateral fashion or have you sought to do that by bringing people in at an early stage and then build them up from the ground up we've we've done both we've done both uh so you know we we're probably training people a lot up a lot more um sort of three four years ago as we were growing then recently we've probably taken on a few more uh people with a decent level of experience in the industry 10 years plus um probably because there's been a bit more movement in the uh, uh between you know certain business or people not being happy in certain business some businesses obviously not succeeding um and having an exodus um and so we've seen a lot more experience come in recently but you know one of our our, our top advisors at the moment has come through from being in a administrator para planner uh broker now is in the private clients department and and you know he's absolutely smashing the figures now and he's come through you know right from the start you know one of our team leaders out there um you know she started on a uh, she did two days work experience after university and then she was so good we brought her back for three days and then we gave her a full job and now you know she's got a got a got a team underneath her that she helps train and coach and bring through those people with less experience she's done absolutely fantastic so you know we we 
we look at both sides and there isn't one focus where we think you know this is what we need to do just have that bit if we have the right people coming in at um you know the, the in the support team that have that desire to become advisors and they have the ability then yeah we'll take them there and we'll see how far we can get them uh but saying that if there's a, a quality advisor uh, that approaches us that we know wasn't happy where he was or sees LVN as the as the next step forward in their career um sees a certain department that they want to go into then you know we you know, we welcome that with open arms and assume that they are the right fit for us, then you know, we're happy to take those guys on as well. What, why are the senior people leaving these other firms? Because the, the, thing, the thing that strikes me is that if you're, if, you know, I, I have this impression in my mind is that if you're a, a senior experienced broker, particularly in the specialist arena, you're generating lots of, lots of fees for your firm, you'll be taking a, you'll be on a very strong commission basis most likely, what is the most what why would you leave the firm that you're at to go to another firm like what what's what what is the driver there aside from more money because that, that yeah kind of... it's actually really it's actually really tricky because you know people don't want to walk away from a pipeline you know and, if, and 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 especially when this market is so sticky you know you, you're always looking two three months ahead and seeing what commissions you've got coming in it's hard to walk away from those deals that you've spent all that time on and then leave them with the other business and go somewhere else. The timing's got to be right. It's not an easy move to make, but there, there could be a number of reasons. I mean, we, we've had someone who's gone and um, you know, left a, a large brokerage in London, gone to try to set up on their own, found it incredibly challenging because of the number of things that you have to do to really get going, um, you know, and doing that on your own. It's not an easy task um, and decided, you know what, better come work for someone like us who has everything all in place they can plug in and go and, and all they need to do is focus on becoming a broker they don't need to worry about a website they don't need to run about running a business they don't really worry about support because we provide support for them you know they've got the compliance you know they've got the office you know they, all they need to do is focus on writing the deals and it would they're in a, a better position just by doing that but obviously at one stage you know they thought that maybe they could go out and do this on their own and set up a little business themselves but it, it, it's not that easy we've also had people who were just unhappy um with where the business was going um you know so they're where where they were previously you know if that didn't have the right direction or the right focus or you know the senior people weren't listening to those people below them um and the advisors around them as to what needed to change to improve then people just become unhappy um yes some people aren't happy about you know their own income structures and you know getting paid more is always the goal but really i think it's much more than that and it's not it doesn't come down to you know, the simple uh, simplistic fact of you know i get paid here this much and i want to get paid that much really it comes down to something a lot more um uh important to them as an individual as to why they would move from one company to another um but i think you know looking in the space there's not that many companies like LDN, um, who have the same approach, have the same sort of different departments that we have, um, and the right culture. And I think everything has changed. And we, we're viewed in the market as someone who is, you know, a, a safe place uh, uh, to work in terms of the business is, is strong and it should continue to do so. Um, but also, you know, we are, you know, very experienced and very good at what we do. Um, and 
we everyone sort of works together collaboratively within the business to try to help each other to to try to make you know, everyone earn more money and i think that's super important because we know in some firms they don't necessarily have that and all the brokers are just constantly trying to beat each other but at the detriment to each other and they're not trying to support each other to get there where here everyone tries to do the highest figures but they'll also help that person who they're trying to beat yeah. to try to get their deals across the line as well so it, it's uh it's important to have the right the right people um but yeah i think uh that that is partly what makes us attractive to to other people when they're looking to to to, to move businesses i think we are one of those names that they're that, that, that they would have heard of in the industry and they think they would be interested to at least come down and have a chat yeah i mean it, it's interesting it's it's interesting to hear you talk about this because you know there's there's all there's a the firm the very highly regarded firm uh that, that always sticks in my mind where they you know they have a habit of br- building up uh advisors brokers making them really capable and sort of have a five-year you know effectively over a five-year horizon they they start knowing nothing uh you know and then they start to become productive after 18 months two years and then after five years they they invariably will go off on their own and set up set up their own set up their own businesses um and, and and granted, like I know, being entrepreneur isn't for entrepreneur isn't for everyone. But a, uh, and sometimes people just like being part of a larger organisation. Um, but you know, th- there is always that risk, isn't there? That you that you you or that you run that risk that you you build someone up, and then they're like, all right, thanks very much for the for all this experience uh, and contacts and knowledge. Um, I'm going to go off and do do this on my own. Um, is that something you just is that a risk you're just prepared to accept because ultimately you've got the right culture and the right business and the right people will end up staying or or, or do you take a different approach it, exactly that you, there's something that you can you can't control that completely but what you can do is create a really good environment and give them the support and listen uh, to where they want things to go to try to make it so they don't want to leave they don't want to set up on their own because they see all the benefits of being able to work with us and staying with us however if someone's always had it in their mind that you know eventually they want to do that and they would run their own business then that's something we can't prevent and you know we just hope that everything would happen in the right way and we would be supportive to them uh in their next steps um to, to running a business but yes we it's happened to us once uh, we've had a guy who, who who's gone on and set up his own business um you know he's found it very challenging uh to say the, the least and, and you know, he's that one-man band without the the extra support um of, of having a business partner and 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 he has found it very challenging he was great while he was here I th- you know some people may regret that he may regret that decision um now but uh but yeah we, we we can't stop that and you know if someone wants to to, to make that move it's going to be that itch that they that they, they will just need to scratch at some point um but the key thing as i said is trying to make it so it's good enough where they're working that they feel like they are rewarded and they enjoy their time here they enjoy um you know everything that we can offer uh and therefore you know it's not at the forefront of their mind to to leave and go and do it on their own yeah i mean i think that that all makes sense and uh, you know the thing i'm the, the thing i i'm thinking about when with what you know with what you just said as well is that you know statistically companies which are 
you know set up by sole founders generally struggle to make as much be as successful as companies that are founded by multiple people because ultimately you know you you if you're doing it as a lone wolf um you know you end up trying to do everything yourself whereas if you've got someone to share the load with share the emotional roller coaster of being an entrepreneur um you know and, and obviously you know looking at more as example you know we're, we're set up by three of us me Zahir and Nick uh and you know joined shortly after by Amit and you know we had we had a you know, uh, we, we had a support network of each other uh, to begin with, and we could rely on each other and share. Uh, you know, and, and you can just move faster in that in that way. And if you're doing it on your own, um, you know, as a starting point, I think you, you're you're always going to be on the back foot uh, as a consequence of that. Let, let's talk about let's talk about the you know future plans opportunities for LDN. You know, as you say, you're 45 people strong now. Um, you know, what does what does growth look like? for you now in the next you know one to two years and beyond yeah but i mean it's 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 obviously a challenging market right now uh things are slower you know agents are saying that you know the the the, the market or the sales are, are, are the slowest it's been for 10 years uh it certainly felt like it was a slow summer um and you know a lot of companies we're seeing are either downsizing or you know certainly trying to find ways to purely cut costs where at the moment you know we're still looking at people we're still looking to grow we still got you know views to expand the business so as long as we can continue to make the business a success in this tough market we're just going to be set up really well to 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 to, to go when, when when the market turns and you know it could be 18 months who knows um but yes yeah, so the, the, the plans really is to sort of take this time to ensure that the business is running as efficiently uh, as possible. Um, you know, working with the new CRM, which uh, uh, has been a good success, trying to use technology and try to streamline certain processes to enable us to uh, to increase, you know, the closing ratios, the completion ratios, um, whether it's on the new uh, people coming in the door or whether it's the existing business in the pipeline. It's just trying to make all these bits more efficient along the way um, and continue to have all sort of great people around us. And, and, and if more people come to us, then, yeah, you know, we, we will get to grow. We've got space in the office to be able to grow. Um, and we've got the management structure now, which means that, you know, we are well, well, we're, I'd say we're, the platform is there for us to keep on adding more people in without having to you know, take on much more management or anything like that because you know we, we we've got a lot of that in place and that will set up in uh, to to enable us to be able to do that. And yeah, I think um, moving forward, you know, the market is is challenging, but as I said before, you've just got to find the business. You've got to find different ways of uh, uh, of, of securing that 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 new contact or working with your clients to be able to find a solution the funding market is you know okay it's trickier now than it was but there's so many different funders in the market yes people are being a bit more cautious but there's so many people out there to reach out to to stay in contact with mm. so many deals can still be get uh, can still be done that wouldn't have been able to be done five years ago or 10 years ago so we, we are are very lucky to have so many options available to us to be able to present to our clients which which just means you know just got to find the right deals for the right people and uh and be 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 patient work your socks off and then hopefully you know we'll we'll have that ability to to continue growing as i said you know we're in the office for another what, four and a half years or so now um we've got space for 
you know, another 20, maybe even 30 people to come into the office if we wanted to. But we're not pushing it. It's not a big drive or anything like that. It just depends on who knocks on that door and, and who wants to come in and you know how many people would, um, you know, want to develop themselves within the business. So, um, I mean, we still see it's an exciting time ahead. There's so many different angles to, to work on in the industry um, and having the four different pillars sort of at some level de-risks us yeah, within the market because when one side might not be doing as well, the other one might be doing better. So we think we set it up in a, in a, in a pretty, I don't know, I'm saying whether it's a safe way or whether it's just creating that security of having the different departments sort of gives us that confidence moving forward, the fact that we can continue to grow it if the opportunities arrive. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, knowing if you brokerages maybe some of them smaller than smaller but you know operating in a similar way and um, you where you have that you know kind of regulated slash mortgage department and then you have um you, and then you also have a specialist division for example and then i suppose you look, we look at protection as well i look at protection kind of in a similar mold to the uh the mortgage division the mortgage division you know when when times are more tricky the mortgage division typically you know it's more stable because even if people aren't moving home, they they they've got their they've got their mortgages coming up for renewal, and so there's opportunities for, for you know it, it's kind of like an annuity stream. It's the income each individual transaction is probably less attractive, but it gives it will give you that stability of, of revenue as a business that you know on the specialist side obviously you're much more reliant on transactions happening and activity, and you know we like you said there's probably fewer deals ha- taking place in the market, and you also combine that with fewer planning consents being granted you know the, the planning system um you know I've, I've bemoaned it numerous times on the podcast i'll continue to do so until it's resolved I actually had mahir who was the our, our, our developer client uh, for avermore yesterday he was a planner um in a number of uh, london boroughs before he became a developer um, and he actually set out some very smart suggestions for uh planning reform and so hopefully uh whichever government we have uh coming up will we'll, we'll change that but I guess at the moment there's fewer transactions on the specialist side so the specialist side obviously has to work harder but you're complemented I suppose by having the, the mortgage side and the protection side which is probably just ticks over a little bit more consistently um, you know the highs aren't as high but the lows aren't as low so it, you know I, I can see the I, I can see why that structure makes a lot of sense um, one of the things that we've, that, that's been noticeable um, in the industry, particularly in the brokerage side, is the increasing emergence of partnerships in, uh, you know, between bro- financial bro- finance brokers and uh, people in adjacent spaces. So obviously we've seen Howden's have acquired SPF. We've seen the partnership that's emerged between uh, Advantage and Adapt Finance to create AFIG. Um, we're talking. We're talking to Andrew Robinson uh, um, of Co. Um, they have uh, built quite a strong relationship with London Belgravia and now effectively share an office with them um, in their new office. Is that something that you're looking at exploring to, uh, in terms of as as another source of growth, which is effectively, um, you, you know, building partnerships with people in adjacent spaces for for the benefit of for you know to create referrals and referral income and and also to try and you know two plus two equals five sort of thing is that something you're looking at or you know you got yeah. your eye on any, any particular areas like that 
Yeah, no, no specific areas. We are regularly thinking about different ways to assist with any growth or to increase leads, numbers of introducers and so on. Um, and yes, obviously, some of those partnerships have worked really well that people have set up already uh, that we've seen in the industry. Um, and it does give you that sort of setup to be able to, to, to push on. Um, look, yes, we are. Uh, we are speaking to people. It's got to be the right people that really do understand it, whether they become just purely an introducer or whether you really have a full blown partnership. You know, they're two very different things. At the moment, we're more focused on yeah, improving our uh, introducer base, uh, expanding on it and working closely with the people we've got. Um, and then moving forward, you know, let's see where it goes. And uh, if any of them blossom into more sort of partnership type uh, agreements, which could actually you know, hopefully thrive if done in the right way, but it's got to be with the right company um, that, that really, uh, you know, we believe in and you know, they believe in us as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And in terms of um, in terms of uh, M and A, obviously we talked about the, the uh, we talked about Howden's. Um, we know also uh, Howden's acquiring SPF. We know about Mantra as well. Um, you know, in, in, experiencing a, a sort of M and A transaction as well. Um, is that something that you've got your eye on in terms of um, would you be open to either being acquired or, or having investment from a you know a sort of private equity type investor or, or, or potentially looking at some sort of trade act trade sale activity at some point in the future or, or is your is your approach that you would rather be the acquirer than the the acquired uh, is you know as as you as, the, as you look forwards? Yeah, I mean we've set up. The business from day one with always the uh the idea the fact that if we if we run the business in a way that it's structured to be able to sell uh then we are actually running the business in the right way anyway which means you know in, in you know doing the, the board meetings doing making sure it's been minuted well uh everything around compliance and the whole structure the uh, evidence of you know the CRM systems and the retention of clients and so on and all these things that you have to do if you are looking to sell but by doing these things just regularly anyway it, it just basically improves the uh, the success of the business so from from my side yes we are open to it at some stage but right now you know I, I absolutely love what I do I can't imagine myself doing anything else um you know if I it's all the business, you know, there, there are many different parts of the industry that you can get involved in very quickly. But I really like the people that we work with here. Uh, I like my business partner to, to start over and do that again. It's probably not at the forefront. And to be honest, right now, I look at LDN and I think there's still a lot of work to do. And there's still a lot of uh, potential for us to be able to improve. Um, and uh, and yet, you know, I saw obviously what Mantra did and, you know, they had something pretty that they were maybe much happy with on my side I just don't think that I would be happy at this point in my business to let it go and to, to, to sell out I think I, I I see the the industry being able to continue to go from strength to strength and and therefore I can see my business improving and so on and when is the right time to do it I mean I'm only 42 now um you know I, I if i'm still sitting here in in 10 years time i don't think it will be because i'm unhappy and i haven't been able to it's because i'm absolutely loving what we're doing um but yeah we the, the answer is yes we do think about it and we do talk about it 
and we make sure that we run the business so we have the ability to do so if we wanted to. Mm. I mean, it, it's interesting. We're having this conversation roughly within a week of when Hugh Way Jones, uh, who is the founder of Ennis or co-founder of Ennis uh, with Ola Robinson, uh, announced that he was stepping back from from day to day operations. Uh, I think he's obviously retained his ownership and stay on the, as a non-exec. Uh, obviously, something uh, something that I can I can connect with myself. Um, so I think just so I think it's quite interesting. But I guess uh, Hugh had you know I, I guess. Hugh and Isla are, are, are a bit further along in their journey with Ennis than um, than you are, and I know obviously. How long they've been doing it now? Their business must be going 15 years or so now. Yeah, I've been trying to get. Uh, I, I have asked uh, Hugh if you'd like to come on. So Hugh, if you're listening, um, you know, the, 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 um, I, I, I mean, I, I know Hugh a little bit, so. Um, but it, yeah, Hugh, if you're listening, or, or if someone someone's listening, let Hugh know. Uh, we're, we're very keen to have a chat. Um, yeah. What do you think about robo advisory? Like what's uh, where do you see, you know, what what impact do you see that having um, on on LDN and the wider, you know, the wider, you know, I suppose the, the wider industry that, that that you're sitting within right now? Well, uh, you know, if used in the right way, uh, I'm sure there can be some benefits to it. But, you know, certainly the, the more advanced the type of deals are and the type of clients are, the less useful that would become. Over time, again, yeah, it's going to improve. The use of AI is already sort of been used across multiple, multiple industries. Um, and yeah, it, in the right way, it, it, it's streamlining processes. Uh, I don't see, I don't see there being a major damage. I don't see there being uh, a sudden shortage in uh, uh, in the requirement to use a, a specific advisor um, because of technology coming into place. I just think there'll be opportunities and the, the role of the advisor may change slightly and the role uh, the roles of using uh, the technology will be, you know, more of a tool that that, that, that the experienced advisors can can have rather than something that a general customer can will will, will solely rely on to to go out and do these things on their own. Yeah, I, I mean the the way I way I would approach it is that I think at the moment People, particularly once you get to a certain price point, want to deal with a, you know, they want, they want, you know, a human to hold, an actual human to hold them their hand through the process. Um, I, I do see an evolution, most likely, which is that the first is that the the robo advisory become more sophisticated and more capable of doing more things than it currently can, which I guess is at the moment it's a little bit, it's a it's a bit too binary probably for. You know, if it's if if something falls outside the sort of computer says no box, then generally speaking, the robo advisory can't help. The second point I think is cultural, which is that um, at the moment, you and I, you know, about you know, we're 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 about the same age, give or take a year, and I think culturally, people who are you know homeowners and investors are of our sort of generation and older, and I think that when you start to talk about people in their early 20s and and maybe like you know I've got a 13 year old son you know people who are in their teens now by the time that they they're buying their first home or they're buying their first property development investment whatever I think they're they are they they may be I mean Jesus they they don't you know if, if my if my son didn't speak to another human all day it wouldn't bother him you know that, that you know he's he's they're so used to you know being in front of screens and their engagement is entirely it, it could could be entirely 
um with an ai or, or something that's you know inorganic um and so i think that maybe there's that cultural shift that will come in the next 10 to 15 years whereby the combination of the culture shift and the improvements in the technology meet leads to a situation where maybe there is a reduced requirement for humans in the in the process you know it, as part of the process obviously time will tell but um you know it's absolutely quite a, but it's i think we can embrace it though i think we can embrace it um because you know i think anything could be seen as a technology at one point in time um and it yes it just means the job specs have changed and what people do with it has changed and this is always going to happen technology is always going to get better you know even just inventing a car was technology and now everyone's got it and it may have stopped a certain number of industries uh, or or think people traveling by you know horse everywhere but it meant that people could get everywhere faster people just embraced it so you know everything i think like that needs to be monitored kept an eye on um and not shunned because it it could just actually help everyone move forward and make things more efficient. And I don't I don't fear a, a mass uh, reduction in uh, the level of, of of support needed from you know certain people on on certain deals. I, I do agree with you. You know that those people in the new generation who were so used to just using that technology are probably more liable to be able to be fully reliant on some sort of robo advice to do it and have faith in it because that's what they've been brought up in in that environment but you know with certain businesses like our own i think we've got to understand it and see where the opportunity is and the business just needs to be uh, able to adapt as time change well i mean i, I mean in many ways culturally some sometimes some sometimes you might almost almost be ready for it anyway like i, I mean i'd use the example of getting you know car insurance for example um you know you go on a price comparison website you put all your details in and then they're like oh no now you need to you know and you think oh well like, can i just sign up online and get you know get all my insurance sorted out online no you, you can't do that you still have to pick up the phone and call admiral or you know whoever direct line uh and and speak to you know and speak to someone and they have to sort of go through all of that that sort of gubbins and it's like hold on there's a better way of doing this so you you can see you you know you can see that in some ways, we we may be culturally more ready than we realise um, for for some of the changes, um, but it's going to be fascinating one way or the other. Um, speaking of price comparison websites, I know that there's there are you know particularly in the specialist finance arena for bridging and for development finance, um, there is there is an increasing rise in the availability of data via price comparison websites. I can't remember the name of the um, I think it's Brickflow. Uh, that's it. Um, that that sort of laying the data out there. Um, what, what's your what's your thoughts on you know on on that kind of data being put forward in a price comparison website, particularly for something as specialised as bridging and uh, you know non-regulated bridging and development finance and maybe even commercial term mortgages. Um, you know, do you you know. At, what, what do you see what do you see in that and do you think there's any threats to the wider you know advisory space um i think it's great that people are out there trying to do these things because there'll be some advisors out there who see a major benefit in having that platform there to be able to point them in the right direction but anyone with experience in development finance for example won't be relying on that system to be able to place their cases they also won't want to share all their client information and, and pass on all the details about the actual sites because there is a risk that that 
will be used in the wrong way at some point in the future. So, you know, you're not going to want you want you always will want to con uh, have complete control uh, over which lenders it's going to, how it's presented in the way that you are used to it. Now, I also don't think those things are necessarily going to be kept up to date quite to the same level as, say, the mortgage market would be kept up to date um, through multiple uh, sourcing systems that they've got. Um, they won't quite understand the deal in the in the way that anyone else can get it across on an email or with the supporting documents and so on. So I think on development finance, it's it, it, it is a tricky it's a tricky thing. But for those people who probably aren't as experienced and the development finance world may not know the lenders, may not be on top of criteria. It could be a useful thing where they get pointed in the right direction. Um, I mean, you know, we, we, we've had a look at these things a few times in the past and, you know, have benefited benefit from it from, you know, coming up with someone that we may not have heard of or, you know, focusing on a, uh, a deal, you know, sort of outside of um, uh, the, the island, you know, where we, where we could go to Jersey, um, Guernsey and um, an Isle of Wight where, you know, we can use those platforms to source which lenders are actually lending in those places. And when that gives us that information, we're like, right, we already know these lenders are lending that location. Therefore, we know who to target rather than and that can speed up the process. So they're, 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 we have seen some benefits from these systems that we, we have used. But as a, a wider um, sort of... Uh, a platform where we could see all our every deal running through and helping us place the case it, it just won't happen i mean right now if we knew what we needed to fund for a standard residential development for nine units you know we would know which lenders are priced at what uh, at what level going into it before we even send it across to the lenders within reason we'll know where they're at because we're, we're speaking to these people all the time it, and a sourcing system isn't going to flag up anything that we don't know what it's more likely to flag up is historic rates that haven't been updated on their system. Yeah, well, I think the other thing is it's the the other thing that is, is that I would point out is that um, when it comes to development finance, um, it's too reductive to be focused on price, you know, and, and even price and leverage because there's so many factors that go into it and um, it's very nuanced and you know ultimately. It's important to recognise that it, when in, when you're dealing with development finance, you're dealing with someone that is that your lender is a you know becomes you know a kind of a quasi partner in the scheme, and the fates of the lender and the borrower become very intertwined the minute that that first development drawdown takes place. Um, and if you you know if you've chosen a lender based on price or you know some other some other particular reason that you've read off a website you haven't taken into consideration well how does the developer that lender deal with you when you have a cost overrun or when your contractor goes bust or um when you need an extra two months of your term at you know at the end of that term you know it's not it's not just about price and leverage you know and don't get me wrong like you know even more as a business always tries to be as competitive as possible when it comes to price and leverage but you know, at the end of the day, um, we all know we, we've all seen the marketing that goes out from lenders, um, you know, on the bridging commercial development finance today or, or other channels that we see or, or in the printed press. And they'll and, and it will be splashy headline grabbing figures. But most brokers worth their salt know that, 
you know you scratch beneath the surface that you know x doesn't mean x x means x minus 10 or y y doesn't equal y y it's y plus 100 basis points um you know not not everything is what it seems like yeah you'll get it once in a month for sundays the the quoted rate it's it's you know it's not always it, it's you know there, there is a bit of um some of the marketing and advertising is a little bit disingenuous let's let's be frank and and and, and, and if you look at the number of lenders that are on some of these websites you know, uh, or some of these um sourcing systems you might be like 30 or so lenders in the development finance that are on the system but we all know there's way over 100 out there in the market and a number of private individuals and family offices that won't be on that system which means that it's not really giving you a full view of what you could actually have access to and as you're saying it's not all about the rate it's the the, the most complex ones aren't going to run through that system anyway so that's why i think there is a there is a benefit for it for some individuals out there and if you use it in the right way then yeah i think it's a good thing that there are people out there doing it how great that it will be, how groundbreaking, probably not on the side uh, within specialist finance. Not not for a while anyway. Um, uh, that's, that's, that's for sure. Um, OK, well, and which is, you know, again, it's not to denigrate uh, that particular system, I think, or, or these or any system of that nature. I think it's just acknowledging the realities of, of the market and, and, and how things are. And I think that these things will evolve over time um, and, and become more more useful. Um, I'm now just being conscious of time, Chris, I think we, it, you know, just ask, start to go down a bit more of a personal route. And, and as we sort of wind down, um, you know, you obviously very accomplished individual, um, you know, you work extremely hard um, built fantastic business. Um, you know, how, how do you mitigate the, the stresses and strains of, of working life? You know, do you, you know, do you find a way to bring some degree of balance um, between work and you know, work and play? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, a combination, really. Um, I'm pretty intense in my work, as as you know. Uh, I enjoy it, but I throw everything at it that I can. Um, but I, I, I switch up in the evenings when I need to really easily, always slept well, um, which is important. Um, I will keep focus on my health. I do quite a lot of fitness. I, I cycle, I'm running, I go to the gym. Um, I was doing a lot of yoga in uh, in lockdown, not doing so much now, but it's something that's also quite important to me because I don't want to be that old guy who's always, you know, got problems with their back and, you know, doesn't, can't play with their kids quite, quite so much or their grandchildren. I want to be that active person who can still be very mobile going on into into my later years. And, um, you know, and even doing meditation, you know, I, I don't do it as, as much as I'd like to. I'm, probably do it two three times a week and it, it can make a real big difference uh just to your mindset and your clarity just taking a few minutes out here maybe longer on the, on the weekends um and i think doing all these bits and pieces together you know thinking about what you're eating and you know not just trying to take the easiest quickest thing but you know trying to focus on what you've done over the week and just having an idea without obsessing about it is really important because you know there's no point having a successful business and working your socks off for the next 15, 20 years and then leaving a trail of destruction behind and not being healthy and uh, not being able to enjoy your life after that. You've got to be able to enjoy that period and, you know, have your health at the end of it. Hopefully create some wealth background as well. 
Yeah, I think we've seen, yeah, I'm sure we, we've seen people both on the uh, the broker and lender side who, you know, it, we as we know, particularly in specialist finance, it's so relationship driven and therefore it's very social. And, you know, that means, you know, if, if you wanted to be out, uh, you know, have breakfast, lunch and dinner, uh, you know, five days a week, plus, you know, a function on the weekend, you could very easily do so. And we've seen, I'm sure there are some some of the people, as we've said, seen you uh, here were probably in their, you know, in their 50, late 40s, 50s and early 60s. Um, you know, and you, you can see the, the, the scars and the strain of um, of that kind of very heavy, heavy lifestyle. Um, so, you know, it's good that you're kind of, you know, you kind of focused on it and, and thinking ahead as to how you um, as to how, how you can kind of mitigate um around that frankly um in terms of you know you obviously you've been very successful uh as as a businessman would you you say you have any particular personal values you know core personal values both for business and life more generally that you you know that are central to how you know you you operate um i mean the answer is yes is, is i mean it's how, it's how you apply yourself outside of work and also inside work is you know you, you you try to do what you enjoy doing and then if you're if you're enjoy doing it, it won't feel like work um i throw everything at you know whether it's work or whether it's my family it's my children you know i i like to have fun i like to do everything with a smile on my face um i think you've got to have that desire to succeed and whether that's being a, a good parent or being a a business owner um but if you commit yourself to it and enjoy yourself through it then you'll in, you know i think you'll, you'll you'll live a happy life um you know what 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 happens at home you know you know with children and uh you know i try to sort of set an example for them in you know committing to doing things that they enjoy trying things that they haven't done before um you know set goals for themselves of where what they want to achieve um try to have a clear path of where they think they're going to go but be aware of the fact that things can change you know often they do um so i think you know lessons learned in in the past in business and, and in life can always be taken forward and you know i'm always there listening to other people who have, have been successful and happy around me uh to see to hear what they've got to do and to improve their lives and how they uh how they take you know lip snippets from here and there to to make everything better, but uh, but I'm always happy to to to, to listen to all those people uh, because I think you know no one has the answer to everything, um, but you know, it, it, it's it's interesting to learn from from all those people who might have a lot more experience than I do, uh, whether it's in life in general, business, family, children, whoever it may be. I mean, I guess it's a, it's a neat segue actually to my next question, which is, are there any particular individuals, um, you know, past or present that, you know, have been a strong, strong mentors to you or, or people, you you know, people that you look up to and then maybe the people from the public sphere that you don't know personally? Yeah, I mean, people I, I know, even start from, you know, from when I was young, you know, my, my, my father was uh, working in the city uh works his socks off and um works his way up through uh one of the big banks and they and and from him working hard and having that sort of that that drive to succeed basically gave me a lot of opportunities when i was a child which i could then take through and have used in my past whether it's you know 
traveling the UK, playing a lot of cricket or table tennis, whatever I might have been doing back then, it, it, it gave me these opportunities. You know, it gave me a, a, a we could live in a nice area, go to the nice schools and everything like this. And 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 those opportunities brought through through hard work and dedication was probably uh, quite a big influence on me. But then, you know, even when I come straight into the the business world, I worked first job as an IFA where I made very little money for a long period of time but I, I really learned a lot from those people that I worked with at that time um, and you know a couple of the guys that who uh, were financial advisors with me then have gone on to create an absolute fantastic business now and I can often lean on them for business advice or personal support or anything and we, we've stayed in contact and you know they have um, you know they again two people running a business two very different individuals you know one's you know more methodical ones more sales but they they combine and they, they they create an incredible team so you know their influence on me um what they've done and their emotional support that they've given to me at, at you know tough times in life has been fantastic um but again it's just trying to also you know give my children that opportunity that i always had as well when i was young and try to lead by example to them well okay well that's um that's great that's 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 really great um you know I, I guess you've been i i can't picture you as someone who who has many regrets but um you know if you were to speak to your you know your younger self let's say you you know 17 18 years old or you know pick an age you know what what would you take what you know looking back what would you say to them what advice would you give to your younger self um if you if you had the opportunity to to go in a time machine and talk to them oh <laughs> uh you're right i don't live with many regrets and uh i i but you know if you had to replay everything again would you do certain things differently certainly because you've got more experience and you've got you know a view of where to where you're going to take yourselves but you know i've always thought about you know do what you actually enjoy and what you think you can be good at and you can throw yourself and i've actually stepped on that all the way through um my career and it's been almost led by what I enjoy uh, doing so from from that perspective it's probably not too much I would actually change but you know almost reinforce what I have done um you know try to and even in even just the way you're managing your lifestyle and, and so on it's you know it's taking it step by step try to live within your means the whole time and then not take big steps up because you know the it's a natural progression for people as they earn more and they build up they'll spend more but the the the, the slower the speed that you can change your lifestyle the more you'll benefit long term by becoming becoming you know financially free um or less restricted should we say so i think there was um yeah the, the maybe maybe get a lot more golf lessons when i was younger would have been a good a good bit of advice uh because uh they would have paid off now and um some of the recent performances I've had when I had out on that golf course uh, uh, is probably hating the younger me who didn't get those lessons. Well, you're speaking to someone who actually had a lot of golf lessons when I was younger, and uh, I I I can't play golf anymore. I just it drive it it just drives me too crazy. So you know <laughs> you, you're you're obviously the the meditation sessions are paying off as to your ability to be patient on a golf course uh, <laughs> makes you a better man than me. I mean I I you know I sort of sort of winding it down, but like I do I did pick up on something there though I wanted to just you know little thread that I wanted to pull out what's you know would you say you're you know you're you're money oriented you know you're, you're quite money oriented because it, it sounds to me like you're 
it sounds to me like that you're you are but in a different way because one of the things that i and actually one of the things that fascinates me is that i think i have the impression that a lot of brokers who are successful they earn well they live very hand to mouth because they're their life they their lifestyles match their uh, match their income in but but ultimately they're on this sort of constant hamster wheel and that they they're always having to earn because if they can't earn the life their lifestyle is going to take a significant hit and it just there's just some of the things you just said there were quite interesting and quite instructive as to where your mindset is yeah well exactly i think i think that's just the natural way for, for for most people to live in the world and whether it's brokers or different industries but you know it's trying to create something so you are less committed um and have more more financial freedom later on we do have to take risks at times when you're setting up a business you do have to put investment you have to support it at certain times and um you know cash can be king so 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 many times uh when when markets uh, uh, are fluctuating so i think it is something important to, to have a level of focus on but you know some things you can't control um and some things that you you know you if you want to create certain opportunities uh for your family as well they're going to cost if you can plan ahead then obviously you'll you'll benefit from it and um, at the moment yes the yeah, that hamster wheel i suppose will always be there to some degree until you know, you you can really set something up where you don't feel like you're running on that wheel anymore. You've got it and you are literally just doing everything because you enjoy it. And it's not because you're forced to work. Um, where I think, you know, as long as you've got a mortgage, as long as you want a bigger house, as long as you want, you know, certain schools, as, as long as you've got those desires, you're going to always want to be earning more money. But the key thing is if you're enjoying it, and you're getting out there and you've got that right balance for it it's not so much of a challenge yeah well um chris i think we've kind of come to the end of our time together today uh and you know obviously we've known each other for quite a long time but uh, you know i've learned a lot about you that i didn't know and it's been absolutely fascinating um if our listeners want to get in touch with you either via social or other channels how can they do so do you want to just share some of your information if, if people want to reach out whether they're clients lenders uh or anything in between yeah i mean easiest way is through the ldn finance website uh which is just www.ldnfinance.co.uk and um also i'm on linkedin uh, so people often see me popping up whether it's doing things like this or talking about recent deals thanking people that have worked for the industry so you know probably the two easiest ways to see us um you know my phone's always on um and uh and yeah i think uh yeah, a, a gentle email first if they don't know me would, would never do any damage so uh i'd welcome anyone to, to get in if they want to have a chat about you know what we do and and, and how it can help and any golf pros that are listening and, and want to uh you know offer chris some discount golf lessons then i think they'd probably be uh, gratefully received um <laughs> they will have that patience <laughs> right well chris thank you so much for your time today uh, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure and um hopefully we'll have you on again soon thank you michael really enjoyed that that's great cheers A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story 
and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales, their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme, even if you just have one brick down. Visit www.avermorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story.